the doctor looked at the patient and said, you are in terrible shape, and you've got to do something about it. First, tell your wife to cook more nutritious meals and stop working like a dog. Also, inform your wife you're going to make a budget and she has to stick to it. And have her keep the kids off your back so you can relax. Unless you make some changes in your life, you'll probably be dead in a month. The patient responded, Doc, this really sounds bad, but it would be more official coming from you if you would just call my wife and, and tell her and give her these same instructions. Well, when the man got home, his wife rushed to him grabbed him, I talked to your doctor, she wailed, poor man, you've only got 30 days to live. <laughs> Someone once said that the only constant in life is change. And occasionally we like change. Like the man from the back mountains of Tennessee who one day found himself in a large city standing out, outside an elevator for the very first time. He watched as an old, haggard woman hobbled on and the doors closed. A few minutes later, the doors opened and a young, attractive woman marched off. The father hollered to his younger son, Billy, go get your mother. <laughs> yes, y'all will get it in a minute. Yes, sometimes we embrace change. But as a general rule, we do not like change. We're like the woman who was asked, how many Methodists it takes to change a light bulb? To which she responded, what do you mean change that light bulb? That light bulb was given in memory of my Aunt Mary 30 years ago. Don't you dare change that light bulb. <laughs> Most of us try to control our lives. Now while we realize change is inevitable, we try to keep it to a minimum. We like doing the same old thing with the same old friends. We don't enjoy looking at new ideas. When the railroads were first introduced to the United States, some folks feared that they'd be the downfall of the nation. Here's an excerpt from a letter to then President Jackson dated January the 31st, 1829. As you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limbs of passengers, roar and snort their way throughout the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. No, we do not like change. And we don't want to have our attitudes challenged because we don't want to have to change our, attitude, our attitudes either. But change is inevitable and usually follows events in our lives, sometimes good events, sometimes not good events, like buying a new house, changing jobs, retiring, marrying, divorcing, death of a spouse or loved one. But the most important change that takes place in our lives is the change that occurs on the inside of us after a religious encounter with God. Such is what happened to Paul. Now before meeting Paul, before meeting Christ, Paul thought himself as a paragon of virtue. 
He was a crusader for God. He believed persecuting Christians was exactly what God wanted him to do. After he encountered God on that famous road to Damascus, he seems himself as nothing more than a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. In our text, Paul gives thanks to God for saving him and for giving him a new life. Pastor Clayton Lord tells about a man in his congregation who was a real saint. He was generous, he was loving, he was a real prayer warrior. One day, he and one of the Lord's friends were chatting and sharing some of their past experiences. Lord's friend said he was shocked to hear the man's testimony. It was a story of a family torn apart by alcoholism, marital infidelity, and abusive behavior. But then, one day, everything changed. The man met Christ at a revival meeting. He quit drinking, got a handle on his temper and his tongue, and he started rebuilding his life. Every day now, the man says, thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Now, that man had the sense of humility and honesty that Paul shares in his first letter to Timothy. Paul knew from experience what it was like to live under the banner of God's grace and mercy. Time and time again, he declared that it was only by the grace of God that he was able to stand before the crowds and speak to them. You see, God had done two specific things for Paul. First of all, he forgave Paul, Paul's past, allowing him to start over. This time, Paul was determined he was going to get it right. He was no longer bound by the errors, bad choices, and mistakes of his past. He was, as he so eloquently put it in his first letter to the church at Corinth, a new creation. His past had no claim on him. Secondly, God gave him the ability to change. The new man was able to emerge and was able to do so with God's help. As the Holy Spirit entered him, Paul was now able to do far more than he ever dreamed possible. Paul wants us to know that as well, and that is why he says in his letter to the Philippians, all things are possible with God. You know, a funny thing happens when we begin to look at life in a new way. It reminds us that sometimes change is good. It points out the fact that we don't have to remain the way we are. We can look ahead with thanksgiving and praise to God that we aren't yet what we're going to be. We will constantly be changing as we become more of the person God created us to be. Now, I've never been to Weight Watchers, but I understand that part of their philosophy involves be, be imagining what you will feel like look like and be doing in the future. Weight loss always involves making changes in your life. When you begin to imagine what the future will look like, you're halfway there. You're no longer bound by the past and bad eating habits. Now Paul knew this well. He lived life with an eye to the future. He, he knew that he had changed, but he also understood that he was going to be changing some more. 
He also knew that God was molding him and shaping him through various experiences that would allow him to be a better servant. We are to be growing and changing as well. Our faith will be stronger and we will be more effective in our witness, which brings me to another important lesson for us today. Once God touches our, our lives and changes us, we're to tell others about our experience. The first thing that Paul did was to give thanks to God for touching him and changing him. And then, because of his experience, he spent the rest of his life serving God and sharing his experience with others. Paul used his story to encourage others and to help them understand that people can change. Paul tells his story at least, at least three times in the book of Acts and again shares part of it in several of his letters to the different churches, including his letter to Timothy that I read from earlier. Even when in prison, Paul continued telling his story through writing letters to the churches and to others that he had met along the way. And as a result, his letters are, are still telling his story to us today. Now we all have a story. One thing Kim and I enjoyed last week was sharing our life stories and getting to know each other a little bit better. Sharing our stories is a very bonding experience. Helps us understand each other better. Now many of us have stories of life before Christ. Paul tells how his life was turned upside down on the road to Damascus. Some of our stories may even be as dramatic as Paul's story. Our witness to others is crucial. If you are worried that you're too timid to share your story, then just wait a little while and give God free reign to change you and to help you. If you allow God to help you, and he will give you courage and he will give you the words you need to tell others. As your faith develops, so where your confidence. Paul uses the illustration of being like little children in one of his letters. He suggested that maturity in the faith takes time. We will grow into it. Knowing that our past is forgiven and that we have changed, I don't know about y'all, but it's good news for me. We can thank God for today as we recognize that no matter what shape we find ourselves, We've been promised a bright future. We can actually live life as it was meant to be lived. My favorite author is Max Lucado. He just has a way with words. He can paint pictures and explain things in such a way that even I can understand. As I was preparing my sermon for today, I was reminded of a story he tells in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. In the story, Max tells about an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. This horse is not a horse to me, he would tell them. It is a person. How could you sell a person? He is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? 
The man was poor, and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold him. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone, and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, Don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested, Don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village laughed at him. They thought the old man was crazy. That I always thought him a fool and... If he wasn't, well, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money, but instead he was just a poor woodcutter. Just an old man still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven to them that indeed he was a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Oh man, you were right and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book, can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase, can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, yet you understand all of life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed with what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another, so they said little, but down deep they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be trained and broken and sold for much money. Now the old man had a son, only one son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a very few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs, and now in your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it is a blessing or a curse? No one knows. 
We only have a fragment. Life comes in fragments. It so happens that only a few weeks later, the country engaged in war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong, and the war would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. When the appointed system began back in the spring, I wasn't concerned. After all, Bradley had just been with, with us for two years. Surely they wouldn't move him. In fact, he was also so sure he would remain with us that he booked a vacation with his family for the last week of June. But then John Sarton, chair of our staff parish relations committee, received a call from our district superintendent. She told him she needed to meet with our SPR, and at the meeting on March the 28th, she informed the committee that they would be moving Bradley to Dem Springs. Good news for Bradley because it was a step up for him. But we felt it was bad news for us. After all, no one was planning on a new pastor this year. But we all know such happens in the Methodist tradition. So we tried to accept the news and move on as everyone turned their attention to our new pastor. Who would they send us? The DS had promised the SPR that she would be getting back with them soon with our new appointment. So we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Then finally on May 19th, more than seven weeks later, a little less than a month before annual conference, there was another SPR meeting with our DS. At this meeting, the committee was told that our new pa pastor would be Joseph Donaghy a retired elder. Since Joseph was retired, hopefully he would be with us for several years rather than the two or three that had become the norm. So we felt this was a good thing, and the SPR started making plans to receive Joseph as our senior pastor. But then on June 10th, three weeks later, and four days before annual conference was to begin, the DDS called another meeting with the SPR, and she told them that no, Joseph Donaghy won't be coming. Instead, Alice Butte would be appointed as our senior pastor. Shocking and upsetting news, not because of Alice Butte, if, if she had to handle the situation the same as us, but because of the way things had been handled, it was upsetting. Was I upset with the bishop? Yes. I was much upset. Did I tell the DS how I felt? Yes, I told her exactly how I felt. Did it make a difference? Not at all. Friday morning at annual conference, Alice Butte was appointed as our new senior pastor. Max ends his story with, the old man was right. We only have a fragment. 
Life's mishaps and horrors are only a page out of a grand book. We must be slow about drawing conclusions. We must reserve judgment on life's storms until we know the whole story. The past months has been a stormy time of disappointment and uncertainty. But we need to remember we only have a fragment. We only see the present. The past is gone and the future is unknown. All of this is only a page of the history of our church and we must be slow drawing conclusions. Folks, God has all of this. We just need to move forward with the right attitude knowing that God will take care of us. A lesson that my mentor tried very hard to teach me Sometimes he succeeded, sometimes he didn't. Is that no matter what happens, and no matter how we are treated, we must always try to do the right thing. Personally, I feel we were not treated fairly by the bishop in the appointed system this year. But regardless, we must move forward with hope and anticipation. And we must do the right thing and receive Alice and her husband Michael with love and acceptance as we continue to be the church God has called us to be. Paul begins our scripture lesson for today by thanking God for his calling. He loves the ministry and he knows that God has prepared him to do just what he is doing. He is now fully engaged in the present moment. As Paul shares his testimony, it is obvious that he is thankful for his experience. He embraces his new life with open arms, and he looks at it as, as an opportunity. It is obvious that he is also counting his blessings over the changes that occurred in his life. Maybe we need to take Paul's approach to change and find something to be thankful for as well. One thing we can all be thankful for is that we don't have to be the same old person. Change is possible with God. We can be more like Christ as we spend each day serving him and telling others about his wonderful mercy and grace in our own lives. And we can depend on God to take care of us in the days ahead. Change is not coming, it is here. Last Sunday, Bradley and his family were here in a very emotional service, and we had to tell them goodbye. Next week, we will be welcoming our new preacher and her husband into our church and into our lives. We don't know her, and we don't know what the future holds for us in our church, but God does, and that's all that matters. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we come before you this morning praising your holy name and thanking you for keeping your hand upon us. And Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but you do. Help us, Lord, to move forward with confidence and assurance that you've got this, that you're going to take care of us and whatever the future holds, whether it's a good experience or it turns out not to be such a good experience, you've still got us and you're going to take care of us. 
Thank you for those in our church that's working so hard to welcome Alice and her husband, and I pray, Lord, that the days ahead will be meaningful, will be meaningful and worthwhile as we continue being the church you called us to be. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen.